I'm excited this morning because we're going to talk about Jesus. That sound exciting? Yeah? That sound good? All right, do me a favor, guys. Open up to Matthew 5. And while you're doing that, I'm just going to pray really quick. Uh, Lord, I just come before you right now, and I thank you for just the truths that you've been revealing to me through your word, um, for the intimacy that I feel like I'm sharing with you, Jesus, through the things you're drawing me into, um, just even in preparing for the sermon, God. And I'm just crying out to you right now. I have nothing to give um, these people, Jesus. I have nothing in me. I have nothing to say in and of myself that can bring about the life and the freedom and the transformation that um, that they need, God, that, that we all need. Only you can bring that, Jesus. So I'm coming before you right now, um, and I'm declaring bankruptcy, Jesus. I've, I've got nothing here, and I need you to come through, and I need you to be the one speaking through me. I need you to be the ones quickening their hearts, God, opening up their eyes, ears, and their hearts to the things that you're going to be sharing with us this morning, Lord. And I just pray that your spirit would fall and manifest itself um, in some way this morning, Lord God, and that this would not be Zach preaching some cool talk, but this would be a very broken man standing in front of these people as God speaks through him, um, his words and his heart. And so Lord, I just pray that you would do that um, and bring yourself so much glory this morning. Amen. All right. Um, so this morning, I'm just going to read. I'm just going to read the verse. Go to Matthew 5, verse 3. Is anybody familiar with this, this verse? You guys heard this before? Yeah? All right. This is... The foundation that I want to set before we get into anything else this morning in the message, okay? So this is really, really important, okay? Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the Sermon on the Mount. So he opens up his whole his whole sermon um, with this line, okay? All the people are coming to him. They're gathering before him. And so he sits down. He's going to preach the sermon. And the very first thing he says to them is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We are going to talk about some really cool and exciting things this morning in the Word and some really cool passages that the Lord has been speaking to me through, and I'm, I'm excited. But this is not going to mean anything to you until the Lord reveals to you the bankruptcy of your own soul in and of yourself, because God has such awesome things that He's going to show us and lead us into an intimacy with Jesus. But if you don't think that you need that, or if there are areas that you don't think you need that, that's going to be an area of your life in which you're going to be shutting out awesome, awesome things that can be found in Jesus. Okay, and so I'm going to do this. It might be kind of corny, but I felt like the Lord laid this illustration on my heart last night. It was super late, though, so we'll see if this works or not. When you're poor, how much money do you have? Zero, zero right? Okay, we'll just go with zero. The number zero is is beautiful in a way, okay, mathematically, right? It's, uh, yeah, it, it is, okay? It's, it's a beautiful shape. It's the starting point. There's something inherently beautiful about the number zero. Functionally, not so much, right? Okay, think like your math equations from elementary school. When you add zero, does it help the, the equation? No, it, it doesn't. So they might throw it in there. You have to learn about the number zero. I don't remember what the classification of a number is. If it's an integer, it's some weird thing. I don't remember. Anyway, it doesn't matter. This is you. All right? Who's a zero? <laughs> you guys all just called yourself zeros. Okay, so, but you're happy little zeros. <laughs> so does everyone understand? We're going to come back to this. Our happy little zero guy is going to just camp out with me. 
Now I want you to flip to John 3. That wasn't really the sermon. That was just kind of a side note. Now we're getting into it. All right, I'm going to read verses 14 and 15. All right, so Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. It's the middle of the night. Nicodemus has come to him because he's really curious about what the deal is with Jesus, what's going on with this guy. But he's part of the group of people that hate him, so he sneaks to him at night. Okay, but one of the things Jesus says to him is, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, Mike preached about this a couple weeks ago. Does anybody remember that when he referenced the snake, the bronze serpent in the desert, and then later how the Israelites were bringing that out and worshiping that? Jesus is making a point here. Jesus is pointing out his own Christophany in, um, it's actually Numbers 21. Okay, and he's saying, okay, back in that situation, the people grumbled against the Lord. Okay, and they were, they were rude and they were sassy and it was not good. And what happened was God sent fiery serpents, it says, and the serpents were biting people and people were dying. Okay, a lot of them were dying by these, by these serpents. So Moses, they came to Moses, they repented. Moses, please cry out to the Lord on our behalf. So Moses did, and he went before the Lord and he cried out and he said, God, you know, please have mercy. So God's solution was to say, okay, yes, I will have mercy. Here's what you're going to do. And this is weird. It's weird. God said, I want you to make a bronze serpent that looks like exactly like the serpents that are biting you. And then I want you to put it on a pole and I want you to raise it up out where everybody can see it. And here's how it's going to work. When people get bitten, they're going to realize I got bit. I'm going to die. They had to go and they had to look at the serpent on the pole, the bronze serpent on the pole, and they would be saved. Can anybody see the similarities there between that situation and our relationship with Christ? If you're in this room and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you have been bitten, which means your soul is dead, you're enslaved to sin, you're enslaved to the, to the devil, and you don't know the one relationship that can give your life purpose and satisfaction and meaning, and they can heal your brokenness and heal your wounds. Everything else you're going to pursue in your life will be cheap imitations, and they will not help you, and they will not fix what's going on in your life. They will not fill that void that you're trying to fill. They won't. The only thing that you can do if you're in that situation is to look to Jesus, who's been raised up for you, and be saved. In him is so much. There's salvation. There's the healing of your brokenness. There's 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 infinite resource for everything you could ever imagine in Christ. I think that analogy is really, really cool because they had to look at a serpent. Like, that's weird. It almost, it did resemble almost like idolatry of the day. But here's why it was significant. What was killing the people? The snakes. The snake was the death. It was the poison. It was everything that was destroying their life, literally destroying their life. And so they had to make an image that looked exactly like it and raise it up for everybody to look at. Jesus, when he died on the cross, you know what God did? He took all of your sin, all of your sin, all of your brokenness, all of your shame. Who's ever felt ashamed before? Now imagine that times everything you've ever done that was shameful, even the things you didn't realize were shameful. Multiply that by every single person that's ever lived, any person that ever will live, and dump all that on one person in one moment. When I think of that alone, like that is soul crushing. Like no wonder he died so much earlier than 
other people like they they he's dead already like that that's that's weird you know they were going to break his legs to to make it go faster but he was already dead because he was carrying all of our shame all of our sin the bible says he who who knew no sin became sin which means everything you've ever done that was shameful in your life whether you knew it was shameful or not that all got dumped on jesus and do you know why because he loves you the goal was not like the end game is not removal of sin you know what sin is sin is the block between you and intimacy with jesus mike said something really cool last night he said every time you sin it's because you're believing a lie right you ever go into a situation and you get really angry and you vent maybe it's on your kid on your wife on a friend on a total stranger because they're easier to no they're not really (laughs) actually they're not i always end up being mean to the people i care most about you ever you do that right it's because somewhere inside of you feel like oh i just can't hold this back this will feel good this will satisfy me right or you get stressed out and you want to go watch a movie or go hang out with people or, I don't know, go on YouTube, whatever it is, right? It's because we have that stress and so we feel like if we go to those things, we'll be satisfied, right? If we're scared, there, there, any, any number of things, just think about the different things that, that we do and that we turn to and think of specific sins that you've committed that when I ask you if you feel shame for, right? We're going to these other things to feel, to feel satisfied, to fill a hole, a gap, a void, inside of us and jesus is saying i'm not about that i'm the only one that can fill that and you know what i'm going to die on a cross and take every single one of those moments on me so i can remove that barrier so i can have you you ever felt love like that before isn't that awesome that jesus loves you that much that he took all of that right just just to have that intimacy with you what i want to talk about is that's how we can get saved. We look to Jesus, right? He's that serpent on a pole. They looked to him, which I think is also weird. But this sermon, we're going to talk about looking to Jesus, okay? And we can see that here for, for non-believers. If you don't know the Lord, okay, I need to look to Jesus. He's the one that can save me, and I can get salvation, and, and I can, you know, get out of this, this mess. Jesus can save me. I'm going to look to him. Okay. But what does Jesus say in, in this verse we just read? Just as the serpent... Um, must be lifted up, so must the Son of Man, so that whoever believes in Him. I'm going to read another verse. Just kind of sit there and, and listen. I'm just going to read it to you, okay? This is John 1, 12. He says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. This is, this is both in, in, in John, and I think his word usage is really, really interesting. He said, they looked to the serpent, we believe in Jesus. And then he says in John 1, he says that those who received him, who believed him. We're going to talk about looking to Jesus, and we brought this up on Wednesday night, and I think I confused people because I think some people were like, oh, Jesus is invisible, what are you saying? Right? You can't see Jesus with your eyeballs, right? Right? But what is John saying here? He's equating these words. He's saying there's some kind of interaction overlap here between the idea of looking to Christ, believing in him, and receiving him. So let me go back to the idea of being a zero, right? Who are the people that looked to the serpent? People that had been bitten. They realized they were going to die. They realized they had a need right? 
that they couldn't fill. They were going to die. Unless someone else intervened, there was going to be death. That is our position. We are zeros too. And we have to have that understanding. That's what brings us to, to Christ. God opens up our eyes to see the depravity that we've been, the depravity that we've been living in, the brokenness that we've been living in. And he calls us to himself and says, there's, there's, there's more than this, but you can't do it. Like you can't, you can't bring it about. You can't fix it. You can't do any of this. Only I can. And so we look. But this is going to be helpful for us to have this understanding going into some of these other verses. When we look to Jesus, what we're saying is we're looking to him to receive him and to believe in him. Does that make sense? Does everybody see where I'm getting that from? So that's going to be really important when we look to Jesus. And it's not just, okay, yeah, Jesus exists. Okay, Rose and Diego had a chance to talk with their neighbor, and I thought this was awesome, the, what the lady said, because she said, I know Jesus like I know George Washington. That's real. That's, I, that was really cool to hear that come out of her mouth, or hear that they came out of her mouth. You can look to Jesus. The Pharisees looked to them, I mean, they looked at him. You know, okay, yeah, Jesus exists. George Washington existed. But we look to him because we need to, Right? We need to receive. We look to him because we believe he's got that thing that we need, right? We have to come to that place, guys. And I feel like, honestly, I almost feel like a big part of sanctification is step by step, more and more areas of your life coming to that realization that I can't do this and I become dependent on Christ. I look to Christ to receive in that moment, right? Anger is, a, is, is something that I don't even want to say wrestling with. It. I just feel like... I get angry and I do stupid things and I hurt people that I care about and I hate it. I hate it, right? But the only way I'm going to fix that, because I've tried, and I've tried like all these different things to try and fix that, okay? You know what fixes it? You know those moments where I walk in freedom? It's when I tell Jesus, my kid is freaking out and has been screaming bloody murder for two hours, Jesus. I don't have what it takes to love him and have compassion on him. I'm, I'm nervous that I don't have what it takes to not do something that's going to break him. Jesus, I need you right now because I can't do this. I was having a conversation with Rusty and Cooper the other day because that was happening, and I felt rage. And I don't even know where it came from, but it was boiling. And I was like, it scared me because I was like, I'm going to do something really stupid, and I'm going to break my kids. And so I cried out to the Lord in my heart, and I just said, God, I'm going to lose it. Don't let me do this. I need you right now. And you know what's really cool? <laughs> All of a sudden, it was like I... God can do this. God can actually, I know God can do this. Boom. And it was gone. Like the rage, the anger, the frustration, it was gone. And I knew that that was from Jesus. And I knew that because a couple days before I'd been in the same boat and I hadn't asked him for help. I thought I could do it and I lost it. And I was rude and I was mean and I was nasty to them. And I had to go back and apologize because I did. And I hate that look that I see in their eyes when, when I do something like that. But I got to talk to Rusty and Cooper about it because one of the things we do when we discipline with them is we pray afterwards. Right? And we say, Jesus, please forgive me for disobeying. I'm not strong enough. Please help me to obey because you are strong enough. And you have to tell them, guys, do you remember when Daddy yelled and got angry and stuff the other day? Yes, Daddy, we do. <laughs> well, this time I felt those same ugly feelings and ugly, nasty heart inside of me, and I cried out to Jesus to help me, right? Like, like you guys prayed for me last time. Because after I apologized, they had prayed for me. Jesus, please help Daddy obey. He's not strong enough. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, and so this time, you know, remember how you guys had prayed for me that Jesus would help me? Well, I felt those ugly feelings again. And Rusty was like, 
what did you do with those beans? <laughs> and so, and so I, and I said, guys, I asked Jesus to help me, and he did. And he took away the ugly feelings. He changed my heart. He fixed my attitude. Isn't that so cool? And Cooper was like, what? And he just kind of sat there staring at me. And Rusty like looked at Cooper and then looked at me. And he was like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew he would. And that like, it melted me because it was so cool. Because like Rusty, I don't know, it was, it was just cool. It was just cool. So anyway, if we're talking about the equation, right, we're going to walk into situations. If we are zero, and we're thinking about this in terms of math, forgive the nerdery here. If this is an equation, right, you guys remember algebra? You know, I hated that. Zero equals whatever. The two sides of the equation have to match up, right? So if you're in a situation and you've got rage, right? Like that's a negative number. You've got you've to make this whole. You've got to make this right. Is zero going to fix that? You've got a zero on this side of the equation. Is that going to fix that? No. No, it's not. It's not going to fix it at all. Let's go, and we're going to go to Psalm 63. And I want us to kind of dig in here because I think we're going to get some really interesting things for life and for godliness, and most importantly, just for our intimacy with Jesus, okay? I'm just going to go ahead and read through the whole chapter, um, and then we're going to kind of dig in a little bit and, and chew on some of this stuff. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in the dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary. What did he do? He looked upon him, right? Beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied. I want to read that again because that is awesome. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate you on the watches of the night. For you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down in the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. He is hungry and thirsty here, right? That's what he says. What's he hungry and thirsty for? He's hungry and thirsty for the Lord. Who in here is hungry or thirsty? You know, don't raise your hands. Just think about that. I want to think, I want you to think about like just in your mind when you think about the Lord and when you think about just your relationship with him, is this the kind of language, I mean, maybe more modern day language or something, but is this, is this desperation? Is this hunger? Is this, I got to have, there's more, I got to have it. Is that in, is that in your heart? I don't just think about this. There are moments where I have this and I feel like lately it's been increasing more and more and more and I love it. And, I, and it's like the more hungry I get, the more filled I get, and the more hungry I get again. This guy, David, is desperate. You ever been so thirsty you thought you were going to pass out? Like, there was one time I rode my bike to the gas station when I was a kid, and I, didn't, I hadn't drank any water that day, and I tried to see how like fast I could like bike there and back again. I thought, like, my, I had, like, cotton mouth, and I thought I was going to die. Like, I literally am like, I'm like, Lord, I'm going to die in the field right outside my house. Oh, right? So thirsty. He says that my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. He's hungry. He's starving. He's thirsty. He's parched. Like this is a big thing. This is not like weak language. I think God wants to bring us to that place. And I think what God was doing in David's heart was bringing him to a realization of just how empty he was. 
What does it say that he does? My soul will be satisfied as with rich food. That's awesome. So that's he's hungry, he's thirsty, but then he's satisfied. So what, what comes in between? Look at verse 2. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Go ahead and flip to Psalm 27 real quick. What about the sanctuary? What about looking at him? What's the big deal? You hear David talk several times throughout the Psalms about being in the sanctuary, beholding his glory. Big deal, David. Like, what's the big deal about going to church or going to the temple or whatever, you know? I'm going to read just, just one verse to you guys. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Two, gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So go back to Psalm 63. I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. David wanted to live there. He wanted to camp out in the sanctuary. You know what was in the sanctuary? The presence of God. Here's what's cool. If you're a believer, do you know who's living inside of you? Jesus, the Spirit of God, the presence. What did David do in the presence? He just beheld God. He looked to him. And obviously, he couldn't see the Lord. But in the attitude of his heart and his mind, it was this just posture of worship. God, I just want to think about you. In Psalm 63, when I remember you upon my bed, I meditate on you in the watches of the night. Just his attitude, his heart, his mind, it was just fixed on how awesome the Lord was. It was just fixed on the glory of God. And that word in Psalm 27 that says inquire, I looked that up. One of the literal translations is to plow up. I thought that was weird. What do you plow up in the, in the sanctuary, Lord? But it's in this context of like, I want to dig deep. I want to understand. I want to drum the depths. I want to get this. Because I've always thought of that like, okay, he just wants to go to the temple. All right, God, what do I got to do? Give me the direction. All right, I'm gone, right? Because he's got stuff he's got to do. He's got to keep moving. But I don't, I don't think that is the context. I don't think that is what he's trying to get at. He wanted to behold the glory of God and drum the depths of God's heart. He wanted to understand what beat in the heart of God. He wanted to understand God's heart for his people, for himself. He, he wanted to know the Lord and to know, like Mike was saying earlier, to know his ways. And I, I, I'm kind of skipping ahead, but I just think this is really cool. I can't not talk about it. Um, down at the bottom, nine, verses 9 through 11, David was always running for his life. Like that was kind of a major theme in his life, right? But it says, But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down to the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. Hurrah! Finally! My enemies, put down. If you've been running for your life for decades, would you be excited if those guys were finally gone? Good night, right? That would be exciting. I think I might throw a party that those guys were dead. That sounds messed up when it comes out of my mouth out loud. What did David throw a party for, though? Look at verse 11. What does he rejoice in? His enemies were defeated, right? God... Defeated his enemies, David rejoiced, my enemies are dead, right? No. You guys see that? What does it say? The king shall rejoice in God. I feel like one thing I can really wrestle with is, and this is something that the Lord really challenged me on earlier in the year, because I just I had these sins, and I was like, God, I'm so tired of wrestling with these sins. I'm so tired of struggling with this. I just wish you'd fix it. And honestly, I don't feel like it's fair that you're letting me struggle with these other people don't struggle with this. This person doesn't struggle with that. They just, just get serve you and be with you. And I don't get why you're like this. And God challenged me, and he was like, 
if I took away your sin and took away the struggle from you, but took my presence from you, and you couldn't have intimacy with you, which, like, which would you prefer? And immediately my mind said, God, take the sin. And that like crushed my soul a little bit because God revealed to me I wanted freedom from sin more than I wanted him. You ever feel that way sometimes? Like you really want God to come through. And if you were being honest with yourself, if you could have the choice between God, you answering this prayer or having you, and they're exclusive. So if I could have health, but the cost was God, I would pay that price. I'd give up God. If the choice was I could have freedom from sin, but I had to give up my intimacy with Jesus, would you make that trade? And for me, I would. God, I I would trade intimacy with you for freedom from sin. And I don't know about you, but that sounds horrible. And that kind of broke my heart to think that, like, that was going on in my heart. But I think that's something we can really easily fall into. And I think this chapter is a really big testament that that's not the Lord's heart and that that's not going to satisfy us, okay? We could live our lives and be free from, you know, these big struggles that you see, but your life would still be empty, life would still be meaningless and you would what would you have lived for you would die for nothing and you wouldn't be satisfied david didn't do that in here he wanted to be free from his enemies he wanted to be set free from his captors he wanted freedom from having to run for his life but that's not what he exalted in that's not what he was excited about one day god's going to do this because he's faithful and i trust him but you know what i exalt in i exalt in god and if I have to run for my life for the rest of my life, if God sets me free on that last day, I will have lived a full life because I got Jesus. Wednesday night, Danny was in uh, like my small group, and I loved it. one of the things he said. His quote was, at least I have Jesus. You ever go through a hard time, and it's like, wow, this is horrible and wretched in every way possible? At least you have Jesus. And I think God is going to birth more and more of a depth of understanding of that idea because it's not even just... Like, I don't know, there's so much there in that phrase. At least I have Jesus. Like, if God took everything but still left you with that intimacy with Jesus, that would be a glorious life. Like, that would be a full life. And God wants to bring us to more and more of an understanding of the satisfaction that can be found in him. What did David study in the temple, in the sanctuary, in the presence of God? God. It was him. It was intimacy with Jesus. Didn't say he was in there studying battle strategies and Oh, Lord, blessed are your, you know, war plans. It was just, it's you. He just wanted intimacy with, with God. So um, here's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do. Go ahead and flip to, to John 6, and I'm going to draw a little bit on the board again. I want to get a little bit practical. We've already established this is us, right? And the more we can understand how us this is, the more we will look to the Lord, the more we will go to Jesus to be filled, to be satisfied, be drawn into that intimacy, right? So here's what I'm going to do. Let's say you as a zero, admit that you're a zero, prostrate yourself before the Lord. Like that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Now let's see if I can, I practice this because it's tricky. We've talked about before the idea of being broken before the Lord, right? And we let him break us, let him cut us open. Okay. And that's done through the cross, right? We carry our cross and we allow the Lord to break us and to reveal to us our weakness so that we can depend on him. And that's, that's what we're getting at, right? So let's take you. You've prostrated yourself before the Lord. 
And now we're going to take the cross and we're going to cut you open. Can you guys see the cross in there? I kind of trailed off. You guys see the cross? Okay, the cross has cut you open. But now all of you is getting bled out. And you're just pouring out all over the floor. And you're being broken. Does everybody see that? Does anybody know what that symbol means? When we come to that place before the Lord and we admit, God, I have nothing to offer you. And you fall down on your face and you say, Jesus, cut me open, right? I talked about that a little bit in my last sermon. The Word of God is living and active. The sword of the Spirit. Jesus wants to come in there in all your nothingness, okay, in every moment, in every situation of your life, and he wants to cut you open, and that's going to hurt. But here's what happens. When Jesus comes in and cuts you open and lets the, the ugly you parts fall out, he still leaves some of you because you're made in the image of God, right? I'm talking about this is still beautiful because it's, it's, we're made in the image of God, but we're empty. We're not made to just be us. We now have infinite whatever you need in you right now. The Spirit of God is in you, so whatever you need for any moment. So let's say... I don't know. I need infinite compassion in this moment. You've got right there. So if it's like equals, you know, infinite compassion, I, I need I need so much love right now and I just can't drum it up. I need so much patience. I need so much self-control. I need so much joy and, and kindness and, and all the other fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's there because we have infinite resource dwelling inside of us. We're going to come back to this because I'm going to keep drawing, and it gets even cooler. But if you're a zero, what are you holding on to? You ever come to that place where you're like, I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. I don't want to have to tell this person that I messed up. I don't want to have to admit that I can't do this. I hate giving up control, personally. And honestly, like, God is really changing his heart in me because I'm seeing, like, what an awesome trade-off it is. But initially, like, two years ago, when the Lord started laying on, his, on my heart, like, hey, I need to break you because I want you to give up control of your life and surrender to me. Nope. Hate that. Hard pass. Don't want that. <laughs> Let me be a Christian, but not do that part. Can I get like all the rest, please? It doesn't work that way. We're not made to work that way. Let's move on. All right. Are you guys in John 6? I'm going to read verse 35. This is... <sighs> This week has been crazy because there's just been so many different things the Lord has been seeking through different people, and it's like all syncing up in my mind. Like as the Lord's been showing me things, it's awesome. John 6.35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Later down in verse 56, he says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. We talked about that. We've talked about that a lot, actually, like the idea of Jesus being the vine, us being the branches. Abide. Abide in me. Well, how do you abide? Eat him. Gross and creepy. What does he say? Anyone who comes to me shall not hunger. So how do you eat Jesus? If coming to him fills your hunger... Eating is meant to fill your hunger. You come to him. Eating means come. What does he say about your thirst? Anyone who believes in me will never thirst. So how do you drink the blood of Jesus? You believe. 
there's so much, as I've been looking at this, there's so many different passages that talk about looking to Jesus. And I had to talk to Mike because I was like, bro, I don't know how to, what about this? And he's like, yeah, that sounds like you need to cut like a huge chunk of that off and then keep whatever's left. <laughs> there's so much good stuff in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the whole Bible is full of people looking to Jesus, people coming to him because they can't and they need him and believing in him because they know that he has what they need. So how do we do this? We've already looked in Psalm 27 and Psalm 63. I'm going to point out a couple of things, okay? And then we're going to move into some examples that we can look at to kind of help us flesh this out a little bit. In Psalm 63, it talks about meditating on him and thinking about him in the night, okay? In Psalm 27, he's in the temple to behold and to inquire of the Lord, to drum the depths of God's heart, okay? So all these ideas, all these concepts of, okay, well, I'm going to come to Jesus. The way that I look to him is I think about him. I think about how awesome he is. I meditate on, on who he is. I, I, I inquire. I want to drum the depths of God's heart. Okay, th- those are cool ideas, and I think like you guys can kind of flesh out in your minds a little bit of what I'm talking about here. But what exactly does that mean? Because I've technically only used kind of metaphorical words here. You're talking about reading a person, meditating on a person, drumming the depths of a person's heart. Like, what does that look like? How do we, how do, we do that? Okay, I'm telling you guys that all of this is about looking to Jesus. It's all about coming to him and believing and receiving. Coming and believing and receiving. In every moment, coming and believing and receiving. One thing that I think is really cool, and this is something that, like, the Spirit has to, has to do this, but there's this book called Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Thank you. And this guy was a monk, and he was a dishwasher. Like, his job at the monastery was he, he just washed dishes. But this guy was like, I have a calling of God on my life. And he was so joyful and empowered by the Holy Spirit to wash dishes. It's weird. That's weird. But God had done something. God had developed something in his heart, and the Spirit had empowered this attitude in him that he just thought about Jesus all day long. While he's washing about washing dishes, he's talking to the Lord and thinking about how awesome Jesus is. While he's like praying, and his thing was, if the Spirit of God is living inside of me, why do I relegate my time with him just to like their set prayer times? Because they had like set prayer times throughout the day, and they go into like the, um, the the church area and pray. And he's like, the Spirit of God is in me. Why do I only talk to him? Why am I only enjoying that presence? Because I've got with me all the time. Only when I'm in there. Why can't I do it while I'm washing dishes? And so God like started showing him, hey, I'm with you when, I'm wa- when you're washing dishes. Hey, I'm with you when you're going to the store to get groceries, to cook the meal for that. Hey, I'm with you. Like God began to open up his eyes to, Jesus, are you with me right now? Yep. Right now? Yep. How about now? Yes, still there with you. <laughs> and it rocked his whole world because he got to enjoy this intimacy. And I, I, don't, I don't do this. Like, I'm, I'm praying that God's going to, like, do this more in my heart. But God is starting to do that. And, and I was talking to Kate about the other day because it was weird. It was weird. Because I've gone through the day, and the Lord had just been reminding me constantly throughout the day, hey, I'm with you, hey, I'm with you, hey, I'm with you. And it was just, like, cool because I got to enjoy that. When I came in to worship that night because it was a Wednesday night, and I don't, I, I don't remember who was leading but I just came in and nothing changed. I just like came in and it was like, all right, Jesus, we've been together all day. Now let's just do this in song form. You ever feel like you come into worship and you're like 
trying to like, okay, I wish like get my mind focused. Let's let's do this. Let's let's get into this. I feel so distracted. Whatever. I, I, I get that all the time, but that day it wasn't like that. It was just I came in. I didn't come into the presence of God. I was in the presence. There was just that intimacy that I shared with Him all day. And there's this peace and there's this joy and there's this hope. And I think God was just showing me like there's more to intimacy with me than than you know right now. And I want to bring you into all that that is. So I'm, I'm talking too much. Let's let's move on, okay? Let's look at a couple examples. Go to Luke 19. These are, these are examples that I think you guys are going to be really familiar with. And I hope that just the way that we talk about them can be something that can stick in your minds so that when you're praying to the Lord and asking him, okay, God, I need you to do this. I'm telling you all these things. You need to look to Jesus and we need to receive him. But the bottom line is, you're not going to be able to do it. Even in that area, you're a zero. Like, that's what kind of like blows my mind a little bit. It's like, all right, well, I can, you know, all right, here, well, here's the step before that. Here's the step before that. Every step is Jesus has to do it. The Holy Spirit has to empower you to take these steps. So even in this, looking to Jesus, Jesus is going to help you to do that. But let's, let's, read, let's read this passage. 19, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. He entered, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on the account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. What did he want to do? See him. Why did he climb the tree? Okay, just keep that in your minds. For he went for Jesus was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried, came down, received him joyfully. And when they, all the people, saw it, they all grumbled. He's gotten to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. A zero. Oh, interesting. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods. Half. Picture what you own. All of your stuff, all of your money, half of it, gone right now. You just gave it to the poor. And if I have defrauded any one of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to, this is what I love, seek and save that which was lost. Zacchaeus thought he was seeking Jesus by climbing that tree. He was like, I'm the one seeking. I'm the one seeking and I found you and I just saved you. I want you to think about this. Okay, this was a guy, he was a tax collector. I don't see, I don't think tax collecting was like a lucrative business just in and of itself. It seems from like other passages that talk about tax collectors that it was the extortion that went along with it that was a lucrative business. The Jews hated tax collectors because they were taxing, tax collecting for the Romans who they hated. You've got Zacchaeus who had built his entire career and all of his fortune on extorting his own people for his own benefit while working for their worst enemies. That, that's a horrible person. <laughs> and he had spent his life pursuing that. He was rich. Like, he had done it well. He had all this money. The same, the same guy that had spent his life, at the cost of his people, had pursued amassing this wealth. All of a sudden, the wealth was worthless to him. He gave away half of it. And if he dropped the fraud in it, I'm, like, wondering, how did he not, like, literally go bankrupt? Because if you had built your, math, like, your fortune on extorting from other people, how does the math add up that, okay, extorting from all these people equals 100% of my income, 50% is taken away. The rest, I'm going to give four times what I stole. Like, how did he have enough money to pay back what he stole? Like, I'm pretty sure Zacchaeus went broke, like, in that one moment. The guy that spent his whole life amassing this wealth, 
gave it all up. Jesus talks about that parable. The guy found the treasure in the field. It says, in his joy, I love that it words it that way, like that blows my mind. In his joy, he went and sold everything he had. What if Jesus told you, hey, I'm going to give you unlimited intimacy with me, but you got to sell everything. Like you got to give away all of your friendships, all your stuff, all of your, even what people think of you, like you got to give it all away. That guy gave it away joyfully. He's like, are you for real? You're getting ripped off, Jesus. Yeah, I'll do that. Right? Like, could you imagine if that was our perspective all the time? I think God wants to do that. I think God wants to give us that perspective. Man, that's not a fair deal, Jesus, at all. You can feel that way. Man, this is a raw deal, God. Like, you're making me give up all this stuff. Jesus is like, it is a raw deal for me. (laughs) But he doesn't think that, right? Because even for him, it's not a raw deal. Like, he wants us And he wants to show us that the unlimited resource that is Christ in you, that intimacy with Jesus, is worth joyfully giving up everything. Zacchaeus saw Jesus. Nothing special happened there. He climbed some stinking tree and saw the guy. Jesus spoke one sentence to him, and all of a sudden his entire life was changed. Are you beholding Jesus right now in your life? Are you looking at Jesus? Do you see that kind of transformation that Zacchaeus had in your life? Do you want that kind of transformation in your life. Here's something the Lord's been really laying on my heart. So we could look at Zacchaeus and say, okay, well, let's try and like make a formula out of this, right? For, for Christian living, Zacchaeus climbed a tree and then he got saved and his whole life got changed. All right, find a sycamore tree. We're doing sycamore tree ministry. <laughs> All right, we're just going to get this tree and we're going to start having people climb it. Revival's going to fall <laughs> Climbing the tree didn't fix Zacchaeus, right? Why was Zacchaeus in the tree? (laughs) Because Jesus was going to be there, okay? I'm walking in that direction. There's a tree up there. If you want to see me, but there's crowds walking like all around me, you go up ahead and you climb the tree because that's where I'm going to be. Okay, that's, that's what was going on here. All Zacchaeus was doing, he wanted to see Jesus, so he showed up at that tree. I'm going to challenge you guys with something. Challenging more that you go to the Lord and ask him to change your heart on this because I think there's so much in this that, honestly, God has been changing my heart so much in this because this is something I've really wrestled with. Um, quiet times is something that like, I've really wrestled with. And for me personally, I've just wrestled with so much like guilt and uh, I'm not doing my quiet times. Like I feel so guilty. And honestly, there's just been so much, like, I don't know. I- I've brought so much baggage to the Lord just and so many lies about who he is. And, and God is showing me, like, it's not, what are, you, what are you doing? This is not some, this is not some chore. The Word of God is maybe one of the single most, it's one of, like, the greatest treasures we have as people. Like, if you're talking, like, physical things, do you know why? Because the Word of God is Jesus. This entire thing, the Word of God became flesh. He came to live among us. Jesus promises to meet you here. Climbing the tree is not going to change you. Do you guys understand that? Okay, the Pharisees read lots of scripture, but did they see themselves as zero? Did they come to receive Jesus? Did they come believing that God could come through for them if they showed up? God has given us his word. He's given us church. He's given us our brothers and sisters in the Lord. He's given us prayer. He's given us worship. He's given us fasting. I hate it. I hate fasting. But guys, this year, the Lord has been changing my heart on fasting. And it's weird. Because in all of these things, 
These are things that God promises to meet us. Jesus says the word of God is living and active. Jesus says, draw near to God and I will draw near to you. It says that this is Jesus. Do you want transformation in your life? Do you want life? Do you want satisfaction? Do you want meaning and purpose in your life? Relationship, intimacy, complete tightness with Jesus is the only way that is going to happen. You have to see him. I was talking to somebody the other day and life is really hard right now and a lot of horrible things are happening and they're kind of like at a crossroads because if God doesn't show up, I don't, I don't know what would happen. I don't even think about what would happen. God has to show up, period. God has to reveal himself to you. Moses wanted to see the glory of God. He wouldn't go into the... the uh, there's this song that I've been listening to late, and, he, and it's, I don't want to go. And he's like, I don't, I don't want to go in anything. Like, I don't want to go unless you're going to be there. Moses said, I don't want to go unless your spirit is there. Jesus promises that if you show up here in the word, I will show up, and I will bring satisfaction. I will bring life. I will bring transformation. Don't climb this tree and get proud of yourselves, guys, that you climbed a tree, and go to Jesus and hold something over him like, well, Jesus, I've been climbing this tree every day. I'm an awesome tree climber. Tree climber. <laughs> right? You're still zero. If you try to take Jesus out of this, and this is like a whole nother thing I could spend like hours just talking about. In this equation, if you take Jesus out, it just falls apart. Like it doesn't work. You can't go to God on any grounds other than Christ and his blood and his cross and have it work. We don't come before the Lord and say, hey, we're awesome tree climbers. Okay? We don't come into prayer and say, man, I've been like, I've been praying. I'm climbing this tree so great. It's look how high on this tree. Like, it's not the point. The point is to meet Jesus. The point is to be there. The point is to show up in church. God wants to move and speak, and He's promised that the manifest, the manifest wisdom of God is revealed to the the, the spiritual forces through. I'm botching this quote. To, through the church, that's what it says in the New Testament. The manifold wisdom of God is displayed to all of the angels and demons through the church. Look at this motley crew in this room, all these broken people. <laughs> and there is unity, and there is love, and there is patience, and there's kindness and goodness that's impossible. And you see some awesome things happening between the relationships and these people. I know you guys, and you know me, and that's not possible. And you're talking about a global body of people that are doing that collectively across the whole world from different cultures, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different financial status, working class, and there's unity and there's love and there are impossible things happening. That's God. That's, that's Jesus moving in powerful ways that we can't understand. God is here. God wants to show up here. If you're coming in here because, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not even going to guess. Why are you here? Why are you in church? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you pray? Why do you fast or not fast? Do you guys want to meet Jesus? Do you guys want to see Jesus? Show up. Here's the deal. Even in showing up, like even in that, like we, we can't even do that. We can't even do that. We're, we're zero, right? But we can cry out to God. If anything I'm saying to you right now is, is resonating, if the Lord is stirring up anything in your heart, he wants you to cry out to him. We're going we're gonna to move on. I'm going to give one more example and, and, and wrap this up, okay? We're going to talk about Mary and Martha. Um, go to Mark 14. I'm just going to mention this, this other verse. Okay, so while you guys are flipping there, Mark 14. Mary and Martha were sisters, and there's a passage in Luke that talks about when Jesus came to their home, they welcomed him in. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, 
and she listened to him at his feet. Martha had to, she had a bunch of people in her house. Like she had to cook, she had to clean. You ever think about like opening up your home to a bunch of people? Like think about how much stuff you gotta, you gotta do for that. Imagine that, okay? But now it's imagine like it's the son of God coming to your house. You kind of want it to look nice, right? So Martha was busy, right? There were things that had to be done, like genuinely had to be done. I want you to think in your minds. You ever had pride rising up in your heart? You ever had anger rising up in your heart? Jealousy of somebody else rising? These are problems that need to be dealt with. That's ugliness inside of us that's like taking over our minds. I feel like this whole preparing the sermon this past two weeks, that all of that has been going on in my mind. And it's like, Jesus, I don't know what to do with that. Those have to be dealt with. It's not okay. Like, it's not okay to be proud and arrogant and, and angry and lashing out in the anger and, and to be jealous. These are wrong. Just like Martha's dishes had to be done and the cooking had to be done. In that story, though, Martha gets upset because Mary's not helping, but Jesus rebukes Martha because he said, she chose the good portion. You are being distracted by all these other things. I think it's significant that that's there and that the wording is used like that because it says she was, it doesn't say she was busy with other things. It literally says Martha was distracted with other things, with these chores. Mary chose the good portion because she sat at his feet, rested, and listened. She looked at the face of Jesus and listened to what he said. My challenge is to you. God hates sin more than you do. And if you think you can fix your attitude when you've got pride rising up in you, if you think you can fix your attitude when you've got anger and all this stuff rising up, in you. I just want to challenge you and pray about this and seek the Lord on it and go look at this verse in Luke 10. Jesus, am I being distracted by trying to do your job? Okay. There's this passage in Deuteronomy I think is really cool. And he says in one chapter, he says, I've not given you yet eyes to see, ears to hear, or heart to understand. And then the very next chapter, he promises them that he's going to circumcise their hearts so that they will love him with all of their hearts. Unless God intervenes, it's not going to happen. That's something the Lord has been really challenging me with this week because there have just been like all these thoughts have been like crowding into my mind and they've been arrogant thoughts and they've been self-deprecating condemnation thoughts and then it's been angry thoughts and jealous thoughts. It's been like, man, what is going on in my mind? And what happens is I fix on it. Okay, no, that's a prideful thought. That's, that's arrogant. I need to be humble. I need to be humble. I need to be humble. And you know what I think Jesus is doing? I think he's sitting right there. Hey, hey, hang on, Jesus. I'm trying to fix my humble heart. (laughs) Jesus wants us to look at him. I want you to look. So we talk, that's that's Mary. Mark 14, I'm going to read verses 3 through 9. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. Now there were, them who, there, there were some there who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. Whenever you want, you can do for them. You can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She's anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has been done will be told in memory of her. 
Here's what I want to what I want to show you guys. Okay, we're gonna go back to this picture again. Alabaster jars, and this is something Kate was telling me about because she's got this book she's writing that's awesome and powerful. These alabaster jars where it was one piece. They didn't have like a lid. Okay, you couldn't you couldn't like open the thing and get some of what you wanted out. Once that you had to break it open, like you had to crack that thing open and use what you could because it was gone. Like the, you couldn't put it back together. It had to be shattered, right? And that's what she anointed Jesus' feet with. She took that alabaster jar and she shattered it and she poured it out over Jesus' feet. So I think this is something that's cool. We're going to kind of zoom in a little bit and look past the cross and look at kind of what's kind of happened inside of, of us, right? So he's cut us open. And I was just kind of picturing this as I'm, as I'm reading and stuff last night. We are that jar, right? And he's cut us open. We, we're split open. Jesus is now inside of us, and just it's just him oozing out, like, all over the place. That's what Jesus wants to do in you guys, okay? Which is crazy, because there's not anything in you to begin with, right? We're all we're zeros. We're empty, right? But when Jesus comes in, and when you allow Jesus to break you open and reveal to you how weak and how insufficient and how helpless in and of yourself you are, that perfume smelled beautiful. It filled the whole room, it said, and everybody smelled it. I could be wrong, but I think when Jesus says, like, anytime the gospel is preached, like this, what she did will be remembered, is because that's what the gospel is. It's this beautiful, it's this beautiful display of Jesus loving someone so much who was, in, especially in their own eyes, impossible to love. And she couldn't believe that Jesus could, could love her like that. And she came and she was willing to waste and I don't know to what significance it was, but that jar was super important or super expensive, okay? And and just in talking to Kate and her research, that, that jar was probably really important. It might have been like the dowry for for getting married, which would have made it difficult to get married in that culture. Like it was, at the very very least, it was super expensive. She, she wasted it. And we talked about that earlier. She broke that thing open and on one use just wasted it on Jesus' feet. Okay, so it's kind of a, a two things that I'm seeing in there. One, she just wants to bring you to a place where you realize just how much he loves you and cares for you and wants that intimacy with you and how full just he is. And bring you to that place where you can just waste yourself on him because you are so filled up. You just, you're so in love. You're so amazed that you could be loved like that, and if you don't know that, and if you've not felt that and experienced that, Jesus wants to bring you to that place where you realize just how loved you are, and it's going to overwhelm you, and it's going to break you, and Jesus is going to bring you to that place where in your brokenness, and every time Jesus breaks you open and just shatters you, and you just cry out and say, oh, there's nothing left. I was talking to, to Maddie the other day, and she was talking about there's this word in one of the Psalms that talks about being crushed. And the context, if you look at like the meaning of the word, it's not even just so much like crushed, like, oh, I broke like a vase because it fell off the counter. It's like ground into dust. Like that jar got broken because it fell on the floor, but then somebody just pounded it and ground it into a fine powder. Like there's nothing, like you can't piece that back together. <laughs> like you can't, like you can't stitch those pieces back together, okay? But when that happens, the aroma of life that's another passage that talks about, like, we become to those around us the aroma of life to some and the aroma of death to others because they realize they don't have that and they are dead, 
And I want to ask you guys, do you, do you want that? Do you want your life to be a sweet fragrance offering before the Lord? It says she did this for Jesus. Like, Jesus was pleased. Like, Jesus thought this was the most beautiful thing in the world. because She broke this at his feet and washed his feet with this ointment. Jesus wants broken hearts. He doesn't want you to come and tell him how much you can do for him and how strong you are and how able you are and how capable you are. He wants your broken self to lay down at his feet and let him cut you open and pick you up and hold you close because he loves you and because that is his ways. I'm going to pray. <clears throat> Lord, we just, I come before you right now, God, and I, Jesus, I just thank you so much for who you are. The fact that you you love me and that the things you've done to me and, and in me and for me, God, I I love you so much, Lord, and I feel like I'm beginning to taste and see that the Lord is good. Like I'm beginning to taste what riches there are, what satisfying fat food is found in you, Jesus, and I want that more. And I'm crying out to you, God, that you would change our hearts. I pray, Lord God, that you would awaken a hunger in the people of God, especially the people in this room, Lord, awaken our hearts. If we don't know you, awaken a hunger in us to be saved and to know you. And I pray, Lord God, that it would be a hunger that doesn't let us sleep, that doesn't let us function properly. It would just be this desperation inside of us, this obsession that you rise up in our hearts because you are seeking us. And I pray, God, that you would draw us to that place where we're climbing the tree because we're so desperate just to see a glimpse of your face. We'll climb that tree and wait. And climb that tree and wait because we're so desperate for you because you've drawn us to that point. And God, I pray that you would bring us to a place of brokenness, of surrender, of prostrating ourselves before the Lord to say, I can't do this. I'm not strong enough, Jesus, but you are. And I want you. I want the infinite resource. I want the infinite whatever that's found just in intimacy with Jesus. And not so that I can do stuff with that infinite resource, just because I want to be with you. And if Jesus being with you looks like your compassion pouring out of me and me getting to taste that as I minister to somebody else because you're flowing through me, do it. If that means these intimate times with you alone, do it. If that means loving on someone because your love is just like overflowing out of me and I get to taste that while I'm ministering to somebody who doesn't reciprocate in any way, do that. I just want to be with you. And I pray, Lord God, that you rise up a cry in our hearts that says, Jesus, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. I want to see you, and I want to be with you. And God, we can't do that. We can't even do that on our own, Lord. We're crying out to you, God. We know this is your heart. We know this is your way, and, and you promised to do this, Lord. You promised to circumcise our hearts. So God, cut us open. Cut me open, Jesus, and draw me into all that you are. Amen.